The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to him, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Is it the Spirit that gives life? The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went along with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. And at this time, I invite all of our children and teachers and anyone else who is beginning a new semester of school to come forward. And if you brought a backpack or a bag, please come. Thank you. 
We'll find our way in and out of these backpacks and bags. Someday so much stuff will fill them that many of you may find it hard to walk. Other days it will be light and nearly empty. But on each and every day, these bags represent work to be done by both you, the students, and you, the teachers. As in every respect of life, we bring these all before God, asking for blessing at this time. If you all would please stand as we pray. Gracious God, equip us to be your people in this world. Give us the gifts that you promised to your people of old. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit that is your word. Strengthen us by that word. Give to us your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us through this week and all of our days. All these things we ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what do you call the smell of burning pancakes in a sanctuary? <laughs> Nobody? Lutheran incense. <laughs> it works. 
See, we love to laugh. And we love to tell stories that make us laugh, right? Some of my favorite memories have been uh, just sitting around with a group of friends around a table, on the couch, whatever. It's reminiscing about the times we'd go off on some crazy adventure to take a break from the stress of class or an exam paper or just to enjoy one another's company because we hadn't done it in a while. Everything from a simple late night fast food run to uh, an afternoon spent playing putt-putt at a local uh, theme park, even just walking around Walmart killing time. These memories bring up stories that make my friends and I just just die laughing because they bind us together in a way that we haven't been bound with other people, right? That's why we share stories. That's why we share memories. That's why we sit around sometimes for hours on end just talking about the way things used to be, about things that we've done together about people we may have lost or people we've forgotten along the way. But like any time we gather with a group of friends or family or reunite with people we haven't caught up with in a long time, there comes a point where a decision has to be made, right? Do we continue sitting around the table talking and reminiscing about what was Do we dive deeper back into the memory banks to try to recapture those moments? Or do we get up, go out, and hunt down a new adventure for the day, a new memory to be made, and a new experience to be shared with old friends? Now that that choice, that decision to either continue sitting or to get up and go, it isn't one that we really make consciously, is it? I mean, seriously, how many of you look around when you're sitting with a group of friends and say, you know what, we need to get up and we need to make a new memory? No, it's a little bit more organic than that. We tell one another that we want to go on a vacation, we want to go out to dinner or go to the park and walk around, we want to go to the movie, not for the sake of making a new memory, but to enjoy one another's company. Because we know somewhere deep down that If we stayed sitting around that table for forever, life could get pretty boring. We get up and live life because it's who we are. And that's how God has made us to be. And we do all of these things because these stories and these memories that we share and we celebrate influence the way that we are being called to get up and go out and do more. We return to the same restaurant time after time because of the consistently good food and good service and because you've made memories there. You go on the same vacation spot because you have fond memories of the last trip. We reunite and congregate in similar places with similar people because the experience and the story have somehow occupied the same space in our heart. And in our mind, to the point where it just seems natural to go and do a similar thing with similar people. Parents want their kids to attend similar colleges and experience similar activities. Excuse me. Experience similar activities 
and try things that they like because we want our kids to have a similar positive experience that we remember fondly growing up. We tell stories, story after story, to pass along the good, to share a positive memory, and to celebrate God's goodness working in the world. We share stories to remind ourselves that even though life can just be plain sucky sometimes, there's goodness to be found here. So that organic, unconscious choice that we make to continue living life isn't really even a choice. It's God leading us and guiding us to live life and to live it abundantly. But I think, you know, you're all familiar with that feeling that comes along sometimes when a moment passes and you can just tell that some transition is upon you, right? That moment where it's time to feel the room, to get up and to move on to the next thing. That something is coming that we just can't stop. And so we either have to hop along for the ride or let it pass along and not get involved. Like those moments sitting around the table reminiscing with friends. How do we know when it's time to get up and go to bed or get up and go outside and do something after a long night talking? After a few hours, once the laughter has died down a little bit, after we've rehearsed all of the stories that quickly come to mind, someone says, you know, I think it's that time. Let's do something. Joshua and the Israelites had reached that juncture in our Old Testament reading from this morning. This is the last chapter in the book of Joshua, so the people have crossed the River Jordan already. The walls of Jericho have already come tumbling down, and the people have fought to establish a home in the land of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Joshua's gathered all the people together and announced that times are changing. They aren't wandering refugees anymore or homeless vagrants. And now they're faced with a choice. Continue to serve the God who has given you your freedom or return to worshiping the gods of Egypt or even adopt the gods of the Canaanites who surround you now as your own. This sermon from Joshua puts me in the mind of the great military speeches before a final battle, right? A brave-hearted commander pacing back and forth on his horse before an eager battalion of troops, rallying them for the charge, preparing them for their last moments on earth, preparing them to face an enemy that both overwhelms and outnumbers their own forces. But does Joshua really do that? No, he doesn't dwell on how difficult the hills they have to climb are going to be. He doesn't bid them best wishes as they prepare to march on off to their death. No, he retells the story. He rehearses the story of God's faithfulness to Israel and their ancestors. In the verses that are omitted from our lesson this morning, verses 3 to 13... He reminds the people that God brought Abraham out of the land of Ur and put him in the land of promise. How he gave to him a son Isaac and to him a son named Jacob. 
He reminds them that 40 years prior, God had led through Moses the people of Israel out from slavery in Egypt. And that God protected them day and night by a pillar of cloud and fire, leading them to this place where they currently are. He reminded them of their struggles in the wilderness and of their triumphs against the people who are now their neighbors in this land. He told and retold the stories that define Israel's relationship with God and with one another and then said to them, let's do something. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, whom they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in the land you're now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So here's this example of what I was talking about earlier, right? The common story, the collective memory of a group of friends, the shared experiences we carry with us throughout this world... It serves as the foundation, the starting point for what we pick up and do tomorrow. Joshua didn't say, here's this land, it's yours for the taking. Rise up and seize the day. He said, look how far God has brought us. Look at what God has done for us. The land is here and we could, could, could do whatever we want. But as for me and my house, we will continue to serve the Lord Who has brought us thus far. Joshua understood that they were living at that time of transition. At the time where history and future collide in such a way that you can't mistake it. He understood that the story had reached a tipping point and something needed to happen. Something that would define the the work and the life of future generations. Joshua understood that God had presented the people with an opportunity to get up from the table and live into this life that would then be added to the memory of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so when we look at the history of Israel and the history of the church, many prominent church leaders have identified a cycle where this transition keeps happening and keeps popping up in the life of God's faithful people. Now, that cycle happens about every 500 years. Phyllis Tickle, a Christian author and professor, calls it the great emergence. This thing coming up from God presented to God's people and to the world. And so from the time of Jesus, 500 years later, we have the church rising to prominence out of the dark ages. right, Coming into a time of affluence. And importance in the life of the world, where before it had been a persecuted, illegal movement. 500 years after that, in the year 1000, in the history of the church, we have this period called the Great Schism, where East and West separated from one another because of ideological and church structural differences, which led to the prominence of the Roman Catholic Church in the West, apart from that of Eastern Christianity. 500 years after that, we have this man named Martin Luther who, along with others, sparked off a European Reformation that gave birth to all the Protestant denominations that we recognize across the landscape today. 
We celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this past October. So here we are at this, this juncture, this razor's edge, this tip of the story where something is about to change. This transition in the story of God and God's people where something marvelous is about to happen. And a choice has presented itself. The story of Abraham and Moses and Elijah, the story of Peter and Paul and Luther and Wesley and Calvin, that story is continuing and continually lived out today. And we are called to be a part of it. So what does that look like? Here at St. Mark's, we're no different than the rest of the global church. We're at this point where God's presented us with an opportunity. Look how far God has brought us in the past 129 years as a community of faith, as a group of people called in this place to worship and love and serve God and to serve our neighbor in the name of the risen Christ. If we trace that story, just as Joshua did for the people of Israel, what would that story look like? 130 years worth of history is a lot to give thanks for. But now we're at this point. And like Joshua before the Israelites, I'm not here to say that our journey with God will be easy. But look at all that God has done for us. Look at how far God has done and worked to brought us together. Because for 129 years, there have been a faithful group of people here in this place giving thanks to the God who brought all things into being. To the God who gives new life in the face of death. Look at how far God has gone to give us this life that we live. Look at how we've identified over the past few months where we see God working and moving in this world. That story is being written each and every day and we're here to live as part of it. So how are we being called to rise up? To get up from the table and live out that next part of the story. Hopefully together we can look around And give thanks for how far God has brought us. Hopefully together we can say look at what God has done for us. The land is here. We could do as we please. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord who has brought us this far. Thanks be to God. Amen.